outside there, but we get to bask in the sunshine of God's love and grace this morning and uh, the truth of His Word. And so I just invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, and uh, just if you remember to pray also, we have, got some, we have some men going to the jail today uh, to um, minister the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ, the good news of God's love for prodigal sons. And uh, so they'll be uh, ministering that gospel message in the jail today. And so I'll keep uh, Jeff's going and uh, Lynn Hunter and uh, Will. And there's, uh, there's others I know as well who are going to be going and ministering at the jail today. Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus, uh, if you remember, is talking to uh, two groups of people, the, um, the sinners and the tax collectors. He's told three parables, the parable of the lost uh, coin, and the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now the lost son. We're going to begin reading at verse 11, and um, we'll be looking this morning specifically at verses 25 through 32. Let's pick it up at verse 11. <clears throat> this is God's word. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of his, the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger." I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the father said to him, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. And I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on the word. Oh God in heaven, we, um, we need your help this morning. Uh, these will, words will be 
may be mildly interesting, but it will not have power to change us unless your Holy Spirit accompanies these words and the preaching of it. And so we are uh, dependent upon you. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that this is a story for people like us. And I pray that we would hear your voice today calling us to a, a deeper delight in the gospel, a deeper understanding of who we are and who you are and, and the fact that we live by, by grace alone. So Lord, bless us today. We want to hear you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message this morning is A Different Kind of Lost, A Different Kind of Lost. I, I don't have an um, outline for you this morning because I, I just had a difficult time putting this into an outline. It's a, it's a story. Uh, it's a captivating story, and, and I hope that uh, you'll find uh, that as Jesus speaks to us through his word today, just drawn in and drawn along. You can take notes if you like, but I don't, um, I don't have any outline. If you come up with one, feel free to share it with me uh, after the message. <clears throat> I've had, that, uh, I've had that before. Well, last week we studied the story of the prodigal son, and uh, this week we're looking at the story of the proper son. Uh, two boys, uh, both the same father, both lost, both desperately needing grace. And uh, we see here in this portion of the prodigal son, uh, in this story of the proper son, we, we just find a really unsettling text. I think this is a... This is, I found this to be much more challenging uh, a text than last week. Uh, we see here the, the shocking nature of the grace of God and how lost people really are, particularly religious people. Uh, Jesus is going after religious people in this story. If you remember, just to set the context again, Jesus has, he's going about his ministry, and we have two groups of people who are, who are um, listening in. But one is the... the the immoral but intrigued crowd, the sinners, the, the, um, the scandalous people, the tax collectors and prostitutes leading the way, but surely bringing along other dregs of society with them. They are gathering around Jesus. They're intrigued by what he has to say. And then we have the other group, the muttering moralists. These are the religious people. These are the, the, the proper citizens of the towns, people who um, are concerned about the things of God, particularly the religious leaders. And they're not intrigued. They're scandalized by Jesus. They're offended by Jesus. They're deeply concerned that um, his, his ministry does not match up with what they are uh, absolutely convinced a, um, a true Mosaic ministry would look like. This, this man does not sound like Moses. They're particularly concerned that he is eating with, that he receives and welcomes sinners. He seems, he seems to enjoy being with them. It almost looks like he's, he's seeking them out just to spend time with them. And so they're very concerned. And Jesus, in response to these two groups of people, tells three stories. He tells the story of a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. And we have very similar things in all stories. We have something lost, something found, and then a great celebration. But this third story is the conclusion of this uh, message that Jesus is giving. And in this third story, Jesus includes a new uh, element, which is the element of the elder son, the elder brother. The elder brother often gets overlooked in the story of the prodigal son. We get caught up in the great drama of this young boy that goes off and wastes everything, ends up in the pig pen, 
comes home and, and we're amazed at the, the father's response where he rushes out and embraces him. And that sort of is the climax of the story and everything else fades into uh, insignificance. Uh, many of us could quote, at least loosely, the speech of the younger son. Father, forgive me, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and just make me one of your hired servants. But how many of us could, could quote, even loosely, the speech of the elder brother? Uh, I have to confess that as I have grown up with this story, the, the ending of the story just seems like sort of an awkward add-on, an, an awkward ending to a great story. It would have been nice if the story just ended with the father blessing and forgiving his younger son. It'd be nice if the elder brother joined in, but it's not really necessary. Well, the, the fact is that this, these last verses aren't the awkward ending of the story. It's the point. It's the application. Keller says the target of this story is not the wayward sinners, but religious people. Uh, people who do everything the Bible requires. Jesus is not pleading so much with immoral outsiders as he is with moral insiders. He wants to show them their blindness, their narrowness, and self-righteousness. Jesus' purpose in this story is not to warm our hearts, but to shatter our categories. I think that's, I think that's right. It's not, a, it's not a sentimental story to just uh, warm your heart. It, it is that, but it's not just that. It, it's a story meant to shatter our categories. It's intended to make the muttering moralists see themselves in, light, in the light of God's amazing grace in Jesus Christ. And it's an invitation to religious people, to elder brothers, to enter into the joy of the Father in experiencing the grace of God and celebrating uh, the return of lost sons. So that's the context. We, uh, just to quickly review the story, the, a man had two sons, one, the younger, of course, demands his inheritance, which is a, an awful, wicked thing to do, basically saying to his father, Father, I've been waiting for you to die, it's not happened, so why don't you just give me the inheritance now so I can get on with my life? And so the father agrees, it would be a scandalous thing, the father agrees and gives the boy uh, his portion of the inheritance. The, 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 the young brother turns it into cash and hits the road. He's headed as far away from home, as far away from God, as far away from the church and religion and rules as he can possibly get. And brothers and sisters, you know that there are throughout this country people who've done exactly that and are doing that today. People born and raised in the church and they are sick of all of it and they've hit the road and they're going to live their life in the pagan world. Well, the Bible says a fool and his money are quickly separated, and that's exactly what we have uh, here in the prodigal son. The money is soon gone, uh, surprisingly, right, to, to no one except maybe the son. The friends disappear. The, a famine shows up. The next thing he knows, this young man is uh, in a pig pen in a foreign country, envying the pigs because someone at least feeds them and cares about them. Jesus brilliantly paints a picture of a man as spiritually polluted, <coughs> as morally bankrupt, as far from God as one could be. But then Jesus introduces the gospel. This young man remembers the gracious nature of his father, that he has a father, and his father is gracious. I was thinking of Lamentations 3, verse 19, which could be the life verse for this prodigal son. I remember my afflictions and my wandering, my soul continually 
continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. If you found yourself in a a pig pen of your own making, uh, that is very likely the truth that brought you back on the road of repentance, that God is gracious. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, the character of our gracious Father. Well, that's what the young man remembers, and so he determines to go home, confesses, con- go home and confess his sin, and hire himself out to the Father. That's the, his Father's gracious, but th- that would maybe be the best he could hope for. Well, of course, that's not what happens. The old man sees his son coming. He's obviously been eagerly awaiting his return, rushes out and greets him and lavishes grace upon him. We didn't spend a lot of time on that last week, but uh, the father says, bring out the best robe. There would uh, most likely have been a, a robe that is reserved for honored guests, that when an honored guest would come, you would take that best robe and you would give that to the honored guest. And so the, the young son is given honor. He deserves shame. He probably expects some shame, but he doesn't get shame. He gets honor. The best robe is laid on him, uh, identifying him publicly as a guest of honor. Uh, he's given a ring. This would likely be the signet ring that, uh, that families would use to uh, seal official documents. In a sense, it's, a, it's, the, um, it's the account number of the bank that, that, that has the family resources. You see, this son is granted not just honor, but, but authority and privilege as a son as this ring is given to him. I mean, can you imagine giving full access of the family resources to this guy? That's what the father does. And shoes are placed on his feet. Shoes were for sons. Servants and slaves generally went bare feet. But shoes are given for sons. His status is returned to him. It's just an embarrassing amount of riches. The father could not really have done anything more to magnify his love and his grace and to, to show uh, how Free and full was his, his forgiveness. Nothing's left undone. But we have an elder brother. And he's not happy. When we come to the older brother, we'll find him doing exactly what he ought to be doing. He's, a, he's the elder's son. He's one of the sons. And he's out working in the fields. And we can easily see him as the bad guy, but we just have to uh, try to put yourself in his shoes. He has watched the family go through a traumatic experience. He, he, um, he's seen this, his younger brother bring incredible shame and dishonor on his family. And in a culture of honor, which is what the, the, the world of that day was, where honor mattered more than anything. And family honored honor was the most precious thing you had. And this young son, in, in doing this incredibly awful thing, had shamed not just himself, but had shamed the father, had shamed the son, the elder brother. So it, it was just an awful thing. And, and this man had lived through it, this, this elder brother. It probably hadn't been a surprise to him that his, his kid brother didn't just suddenly fall off the tracks. There were, this was just consistent with his character. He was selfish, immature, irresponsible all along. But now he's gone. 
And the elder brother most likely said to himself, it's best that he's gone. I mean, there's work to be done. There's, there's fields to be planted, livestock to be cared for. And the elder brother did it. He's, he's, he's good at working. If you've ever had to work with people, the only thing worse than uh, having to do it all yourself is having to share it with someone who doesn't want to be there and who does a lousy job, right? How many of you uh, mothers haven't just said to the kids, out of the kitchen, right? I'd rather do it myself. Well, that's this younger, that's this elder brother. And as he's working in the field, probably thinking to himself, what he'd like to say to that kid if he ever showed up, if you ever had a chance to talk to him, what he would say. Well, one day he's out in the field and carrying out his responsibility, doing his duty as a son, and he, and he comes home to the strangest thing. There's music and dancing. He could probably smell the aroma of, of beef, right, being slowly roasted over an open fire. Now, this, it would be utterly confounding. Um, dinner parties were a big deal. Fellowship around meals but, but were a big deal in general, but, but fellowship with food and music and dancing, they did not happen every Friday night. This was a very rare occasion. Something really, really big must have happened, and he was, he was in the dark about it. Why, why wasn't he informed? And so you could just imagine his confusion. He comes, he comes near the house, and there's music and dancing and he smells the roast beef. And so he says to a servant, what, what's going on? Well, he never in a million years <laughs> expected to hear what he heard. I mean, you, you, you couldn't have stunned this man more if you had taken a two-by-four and smashed it across his face. The servant said to him, oh, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. Maybe there was one that was being reserved for special occasions. Well, that's on the fire right now. Because he has received him back safe and sound. So how do, how do we um, enter into uh, the shock, the stunning nature of this news? Well, remember last week we talked about the awful stories you hear on the news from time to time about kids who murder members of their family. Uh, imagine that happening in your family. Imagine, imagine boys and girls, uh, one, of your, one of your brothers doing an awful thing and killing one of your parents, maybe killing your mom. I know that's an awful, awful thing to imagine. But, but that's an equivalent to the story Jesus is telling. Okay? The, 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 the horror of the sin. And so you're left with a shattered family, all because of the wickedness of your, of your brother. But he'd, man, he'd, he'd, he'd run away, and, and the cops hadn't been able to find him. There had been no justice. And you were just living day by day with, with the shattered remnants of his sin. That's what the elder brother is living with. But then you come home from school one day, and you get off the bus, and there's a huge party going on at the house. In fact, the neighbor is, is uh, there in the front yard in a lawn chair enjoying a cold beer and a grilled steak, and, and you go, what, what's going on? And the neighbor says, oh, your brother. Uh, your brother has come home, and, and your dad is throwing him a party. Come on in. Uh, it's awesome. There's even lobster. Now, how would you feel? Would you say, lobster? No. 
you would feel like your world had just spun out of orbit, like the moral universe had just lost its hinges. You would move most likely from shock to being aghast to being outraged in a very short order. Furious with your father. Can you imagine what what you would want to say to him when you saw your father? Don't, Don't you care about what he did? Don't you care about mom? Do you have any concern at all about how the rest of us feel about this? How in the world can you throw this bum, this criminal, this murderer a party? You see, the entire thing is outrageous. The crime committed by the brother is one thing. The crime committed by the father is something else again. That's our story. That's the parable of the the elder brother. That's his response. He's angry, and he refuses to go in. I understand that. I understand that perfectly. As the elder brother... If the, father, if, if, if the father wants to go and make a fool of himself in front of the entire community, I can't stop him, but there's no way I am participating in a scandal like this. He ought to be ashamed of himself. See, that's how the Pharisees felt about Jesus. Jesus was going around and calling himself a prophet, a teacher. People were saying these things about him. And yet he was... He was He was befriending, having meals with, parties with, tax collectors, betrayers of Israel, prostitutes. And Jesus invites the Pharisees, you see, to to lighten up and join in. and, and, And their response is, no, we're not going in. Don't you care about the law of Moses? Don't you care about morality? Don't you care about the teaching of the rabbis? Don't you care about the moral character of the community? Don't you care about the holiness of God? They're scandalized by the grace that Jesus shows to vile people, criminals, and prostitutes. See, Jesus has painted the picture perfectly. He's he's captured the elder brother. Um, He's captured the Pharisees perfectly in the elder brother. And the objection of the elder brother here, uh, he refuses to go in. It's exactly the, the, the protest of the Pharisees. This man receives sinners and eats with them. It's offensive. They're angry. They refuse to go in, even though the father comes out and entreats them. It's an amazing part of the story. The father uh, <clears throat> should have rebuked the son. You see, the elder brother has caused a public scandal of his own. The, public brother is pub- the, the elder brother is publicly refusing to honor his father, to obey his father. It's a whole nother scandal. And the father should have punished him. But he doesn't. He goes out to him. You see, once again, you find the father humbling himself in a sense, humiliating even himself. In his love for his kids. But the appeal is to no avail... The father entreats him, and the, the elder brother responds. Father, he, he answered his father, look, it's, it's a very strong in-your-face. He's going to let the old man know what he thinks. These many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. 
And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he's not going to own him as a brother. When this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. As far as self-righteous speeches go, this is a pretty good one. It's got a zing to it. It's got passion behind it. Makes his point very succinctly. It's a nice speech for a self-righteous speech. Do you understand why this man is so upset? Well, he says he's, he's been working hard. He's been slaving away. You could translate it that way. He's been keeping the rules. He's been diligent. He's been honest. He's been responsible. He's been trying to do what's best for the family, trying to, to, to please even his father. He never got a fattened calf. He never got so much as a young goat. And then this son of yours shows up who's devoured your property with prostitutes. He shows up and you kill the fattened calf. You see, the, the offense is, on one part, it's just not fair. That's the challenge of a moral person. It's just, it's not fair. There was a, a, a Christian um, teacher, preacher, was at a secular university um, and speaking to an auditorium of students, just explaining the gospel. And uh, during the question and answer time, a student got up and said, so you're telling me that uh, if there was a couple who um, got married young, had kids, worked hard, loved each other, were a great blessing in the community, they, they served and they were kind, they were faithful to each other, uh, they loved each other all their life long. You're telling me that, that when they die, if they don't, they don't believe in Jesus, they're going to go to hell after a perfectly, perfect exemplary life. And yet, on the other hand, if some scoundrel who hasn't done a good thing in his entire life and, and commits crimes and ends up in jail... Um, and, and, uh, and he dies, having never done a single good thing in his life. You're telling me, but, but if he says a prayer, um, then he gets to go to heaven. So explain to me how that's fair. That's the charge of an elder brother, of the moralist. That's his concern. If this kid can go off and do absolutely as he pleases, satisfy all the desires of his flesh, waste his life, devour the family resources, bring shame and dishonor to the family, if he can come back home to a hero's welcome, why try to be good? What's the point? In fact, not only is it illogical, it's offensive. His father's grace is a mockery of his the elder brother's hard work. It mocks his diligence. It makes him look like a fool. Why bust your back working like a slave, believing that rewards come to those who are diligent, only to come home and find the prodigal being celebrated? Who's the fool? He's, he just feels mocked. You see, the, the reason is because his, the way he thinks about his, his service to the Father, his relationship to the Father, notice, I, I've been working hard for you. I've been slaving for you. I've served you. I've, I've obeyed you. But there's no joy in it. You see, his religion is service and it's duty and it's work and it's being responsible. Geoff Thomas says his outlook is typical of religious sinners. How do they view the Christian life? Well, they view it as a sacrifice they've had to make and they think of all they've had to give up, the fun that they couldn't have. It's been a burden. These are the people that will tell you they've, they had to go to church 
twice even on a Sunday, and, and then even Sunday school on top of it, and they've given money to the church, and it's all been a grim duty to them, a delight. Not a delight. Not a privilege. You see, uh, there's a lot of people in churches like, like this, elder brothers. They don't mind working for their salvation. They'll roll out of bed on a Sunday morning even though they don't really want to, and they'll, they'll come and pay their dues. People do not mind working for their salvation. In fact, truth be told, they actually deserve it. Every, every religion in the world is evidence. See, working for it means you get to keep your pride. Work, working for it means that God is, uh, however you understand him, in some way in your debt. I, I remember listening to, uh, this is years ago, I listened to a, I was listening to a talk show, and, and um, they were just talking about suffering. It was one of these late night things. We were driving somewhere. And this lady called in, and her son, her only son, she was a widow, her only son, had been uh, killed in a car accident in his mid-20s. He'd been a, this, this, this son had been a, in the military, served his country. Um, this lady was a devout Catholic. She, she informed the, uh, the host, and she was absolutely outraged. After all she had done for the church, and after, after all her son had done for the country, that God would have the audacity, after all she had done, to take her son. It was simply scandalous. Again, I understand that. You see, if, if we approach God this way, and there's something about our nature, we'd like to approach God this way. This, this son, when he says, you know, I never, got a, I never even got a young goat. He doesn't want a young goat. What if his father would have said, oh, I'm sorry. Tell you what, next week we'll do a young goat. Would that have made him happy? No, 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 he doesn't want the goat. He wants to be owed. He wants to be acknowledged. He wants to be respected. He wants to be appreciated. He wants his service to be noted. He wants the father in his debt. He's proud of his obedience. I've never disobeyed you. That's his badge of honor. And that, friends, is what's keeping him from entering into the feast. John Gerstner once said this, the main thing between you and God is not so much your sins, it's your damnable good works. I think that's often true. It's all the good that we want to claim. You see, friends, one of the great lessons of this, of this parable is that all pig pens do not look the same. We, some pig pens are obvious. Um, illegal activity, promiscuity, addictions, broken relationships, broken lives, but not all pig pens look like that. Some pig pens have nice backyards and nice front porches and nice, clean, moral people uh, living there, and it, they're, they're just as lost. Tim Keller points out that there's two ways of running from God. You can run like the prodigal son and leave uh, behind uh, your faith and leave the, the, the church and your family, and you can just jump into a pagan lifestyle, or you can run like the elder brother. You can just stay at home, do the right thing, build your spiritual resume, and expect God to pay you off when you deserve to be paid, right, to give you a good life. Both sons are lost. Both desperately need grace, but only one receives it. The one, the other is offended by it. And the question for you and me this morning is, which one are you? Which one are you? See, how how do you respond to outrageous grace? 
for people who don't deserve it. I was reading a story this last week um, about a Jeffrey Dahmer. In fact, I'm thinking about writing a, a little article, What Is It With Jesus and Serial Killers? It's an interesting study. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was a notorious serial killer. He's a pedophile, cannibal, killed 17 men and boys. When he was arrested in 1991, no one mourned. Everyone celebrated. No one could believe how awful the horrendous acts of this man had committed. Three years later, he was killed in prison by fellow inmates. Most people, one man says, wanted Jeffrey Dahmer to die, to, to fry, electric chair. But now that he's dead, they're celebrating. They're absolutely sure that he will burn in hell because that's what happens to people like him. The problem is, I don't think Dahmer went to hell. You see, what, what happened is that there was a man named Kurt Booth, a member of the Crescent Church of Christ in Oklahoma. He saw an interview with Dahmer on television where Dahmer um, just said to the interviewer that he was desperately trying to find peace. And so this man, Booth, sent uh, Dahmer a 15-part Bible study uh, for prisoners Dahmer filled them all out and sent them back, and they began to correspond. Dahmer uh, then said he'd like to be baptized, and so Booth called a local pastor near the prison, a man named Roy Hall, and, and told him. And Roy then went in and began to do weekly Bible studies with Dahmer and eventually baptized him. So when Booth heard of Dahmer's death, he said, I, I know Jeffrey was ready, and all the angels in heaven are rejoicing because Jeffrey has come home. Ted Bundy was a heartless rapist and murderer, took sick delight in tormenting and violating his victims when they were living and even when they were dead. He confessed to killing 30 women and girls. The officers think that's probably likely more that he killed 36. He decapitated tw uh, 12 of them. His own defense attorney described him as the very definition of heartless evil. He was executed by the state of Florida in 1989 but on death row, death row uh, Bundy had turned his life over to Jesus and became a Christian. He repented publicly for his crimes and spent his final night in this life praying with his pastor. So I believe that Ted today is in heaven with Jesus. And the question is, can you handle that? Are you comfortable with that? Are you sure you want to spend eternity with Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy? The um, son of Sam is another one. Are you comfortable with a God who would, who would embrace people like that and forgive people like that? You see, some people aren't. The story of Dahmer's conversion made some people angry. One member of, of Roy, the guy that baptized uh, Dahmer, a member of his congregation, said, if Jeffrey Dahmer is going to heaven, then I don't want to be there. Roy was surprised by that, but, but I, I think I get it. I mean, do you really want to be associated with a, with a God who loves and freely forgives and pardons vicious, vicious killers like Bundy and Dahmer? What about their families, what, uh, uh, the families of their victims? And what about, what about people who try so hard to live a good life? And you see, what's the point of trying hard to live a good Christian life when serial murders in the last days of their wretched lives can just say a prayer and get in? What's the point of trying so hard? Well, um, the answer to that question is, if you're living your Christian life in the confidence or the hope that it will gain the Father's approval, then there's no point to it at all. 
You see, if, if, why are you doing what you're doing? Why is this, the elder brother out in the fields working so hard? Well, he's out there gain, building his spiritual resume. He's out there gaining his reward, meriting his reward. He's working hard at it. And if that's what you're doing in the Christian life, yes, you're right. There's no point, and you're going to be offended because you don't understand what the Christian life was supposed to be. You see, if, unless you're living the Christian life because you love Jesus, because uh, you are convinced that he alone has the words of eternal life, uh, what does Paul say? The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If that's not what's driving you in your Christian life, then there's really not a point. Not if, if Bundys and Dahmers get in. Uh, if... But the, you see, the problem is, if, if you've not come to Jesus this way, if you've not come to him in faith and leaned heavy and constantly on his grace, you see, then you're still lost. Beg says, he asks the question, who's the most lost man in this story? And, and I think he's right when he says, there's no, there, neither one of them is more lost. They're just different ways of being lost. There's the prostitute way of being lost, and there's the preacher way of being lost. There's the high school dropout way and the Ivy League graduate way. There's the abandoned lost orphan and the homeschooled brought up in a Christian home lost person. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The prodigal children, however, just seem more capable of recognizing it. So a better question would be, who's in the most danger here? Well, the elder brother's in the most danger. B.B. Warfield says the Father in heaven has no righteous children on earth. His grace is needed for all, and most of all, for those who dream they have no need of it. You see, in his pride, the elder brother and all the elder brothers don't get the gospel. They simply don't understand what God is doing in Jesus Christ. When they see Jesus befriending sinners, and when they see Bundys and Dahmers being pardoned by God, they don't get it. It seems like rewarding sin. It seems like condoning vileness. But it's not. It's, it's mercy. It's grace. It's pardon. It's forgiveness. And none of it is free. Not to God. Not to Jesus. You see, the, the, the magnificent thing is Jesus is telling this story about a father who is seeking lost sons. And Jesus knows that the father is seeking lost sons by sending his only begotten son to bear all the sin of both prodigal younger brothers and proud elder brothers. He's going to bear it on the cross. Justice will be satisfied, but it will be satisfied in a way that mercy can flow free. You see, the, the celebration that the father was throwing, it's not a condoning of the prodigal's life. It's a celebration of the father's grace. It's a celebration you see, the fact that a Bundy and a Dahmer can be saved should thrill the soul of every child of God because it means that we could be saved too. And it magnifies the unbelievable freeness of the mercy and the grace of God. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the love that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy, there was great and grace was free and pardon was multiplied to me. That's the celebration of a, of a Christian, someone who gets the gospel. Well, how do we wrap this up? How do we apply this? I just want you to see quickly that the Father, Jesus speaking on his behalf, the Father invites both the prodigals 
and the Pharisees. They're both lost. They both need to be saved. They're both invited to the banquet feast. The grace of God is for both. And it's, it's something I just think we need to remember as, as, as a church. Uh, there's, there's something um, very appealing to, to us as we understand the grace of God. There's something very appealing to reaching out to the prodigals. We have a heart for prodigals. We easily sense that it's right to show sympathy uh, to those who've utterly lost their way in sinful living. And, and uh, we want to reach out to those who've never heard and been raised in broken homes and lived on the street. We, we would love a ministry like that. The question is, what about a ministry to elder brothers? Do we want, it, do we want the grace of God to go to them? You see, we can be, we can be just as messed up as the, as the Pharisees because we have no concern for Pharisees. Jesus did. Jesus did. And maybe that's a ministry that God is calling us to in this story, a ministry to elder brothers, to, to religious people, people who um, just don't understand the gospel and are trying so hard and are so tired and so offended, and yet they just don't see the gospel. And maybe that someone is you this morning. And you've been working really hard, and you're really tired, and you sometimes wonder if it's worth it. And you are somewhat critical. You notice people who aren't working very hard. You notice people who don't seem to be pulling their weight. Some people just seem to be not as responsible. And so you have a critical spirit. And you can easily point out the prodigals but you're really tired. When's the last time you celebrated the love of God for lost sinners and, and for you? There's a lot of joy in these stories. There's, there's, there's lost people and lost things, and then there's a discovery, a finding, a claiming, and then there's a celebration. And, and my question to you this morning is, when's the last time you've entered into that joy? When's the last time you, you just thanked God with, with a heart overflowing with delight that he loved you and gave Jesus for you and that that same grace is flowing through this world today? When, when's the last time you've been to the banquet of grace and you celebrated it? You see, Jesus, Jesus leaves this story hanging. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us what happened to the elder brother and, and and that's because, you see, he's, he's giving these, these people uh, an unfinished parable, and they're going to write their own ending. They're going to write their own ending. The Father has come to seek and to save the lost, and all are lost. The road of repentance is open to all. The gospel invitation goes out to all. Sinners of all stripes are invited to the feast of grace, but only those who repent will find it. Keller again says, Jesus deliberately leaves the elder brother in, an, in his alienated state. The bad son enters the father's feast. The good son will not. The lover of prostitutes is saved, but the man of moral rectitude is still lost. And the challenge then of the text is how will you respond to the father's invitation? How will you respond to the father's invitation? In your own heart with your own sin, whether it be the sin of your proper life that you thought deserved some recognition, 
or whether you've, it's the sin of the prodigal, and probably for, for most of it, it's a bit of both. But how will you respond to the Father's invitation? Jesus calls people just like you and just like me to come and eat, to come and celebrate. Because something, a son that was dead is now alive and has been found. Tonight we're going to have the Lord's Supper and we're going to celebrate with Jesus around his table, the banquet of grace. Jesus invites you to attend, not just physically, but particularly spiritually, to come and celebrate his grace for sinners. Amen. God in heaven, you know us, you know our hearts, you know, Lord, that many of us have lived like elder brothers and we're, we're frustrated, we're anxious, we are, we're big on getting our, our rights, we're easily frustrated with those who don't seem to care about the right things, don't seem to be carrying their weight, and it's been a long time since we just enjoyed grace and we're really tired. Father, I pray that for elder brothers this morning, they would, they would hear your invitation for them to acknowledge their sin, their self-righteousness, their pride, all the good works that they've been accumulating. Help them, Lord, to see, help us to see our blindness our lack of concern for lost people. Father, forgive us for our sin. Give us the grace to repent, to return. I pray, Lord, for prodigals, for people who could, can't believe that grace could be this free for, for sinners like them. I pray, Lord, that they would see that honor and status and privileges given to to sinners who repent. And Lord, that's true for prodigals and for, for Pharisees. And so Lord, I, I pray that you would use your word to transform us, transform us as a church. I pray, Lord, for a lot more joy, more mercy, more delight, more celebrating your grace to us and a deep hunger for elder brothers and prodigal brothers who are still without Christ and who need to be invited in. May we, Lord, in, on behalf of the Father as ambassadors of the King, may we, Lord, be those who invite them to come and taste with us the goodness of God for sinners. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We respond to the Word of God this morning. How deep the Father's love for us, the Father who sent His only Son to make wretches his treasure. Let's stand together and delight in the gospel how deep the Father's love.